Let's, uh, let's go to our Father in prayer before we get started. Our Heavenly Father, we come before your throne this morning, mindful of who you are in our lives, Father. The purity, the beauty, how special you are, Father. We just want to be so mindful of that as we come before you this morning and ask you to be a part of this class this morning. We've talked about faith, Lord, and the object of our faith and the actions that support what the object in our life is, Lord. Will you please help us with that? Help us to understand and know, know you, but know your your majesty that we sang in this chapel not too long ago, the majesty of our Lord. Because, Father, we want to know you. And I ask, Father, this morning that you would just be such a special part of this class today as we open this incredible gift called your word. And as Cliff teaches us, Father, would you, would you please use him as the instrument he is as we seek you, Lord, so that we can understand and apply and really have actions of our faith that show that you, in fact, Lord, are the object of our faith. That is our goal. Again, our goal is to know you better today than we did yesterday and better tomorrow than we do today. And then we invite you and we plead with you and we call out for you to be our God and our teacher this morning. Lord, there are so many people in this room that have come from so many different places and some of us have had really good weeks, Lord, and some of us have had challenging weeks. And we, we, uh, we celebrate with those who just are, have a special feeling of, of joy right now. Because that's, that's what you've called us to, life abundantly, Lord. But in the midst of this world that we live in, this challenging world that we're in the midst of, Father, there is inevitability to, to challenge. That we will have trouble, but we take heart because we know you have overcome the world. But we want to remember each person in this room so that each person in this room knows that they are not alone, that there are no islands in this class, that we serve a God and that we come together in community and people know that we work through community and your plan, Father, is for us to work in your kingdom and we do that. So we come alongside our brothers and sisters and we pray with them. The things that are said in this room, the things that are on the hearts of your people, Father, will you please be with us as we journey through those, Father? And specifically, Father, we want to remember Deborah Honeycutt and her work in Honduras, and her challenge to find permanent housing. Will you please provide a solution, Father? We, we ask and, and call out to you, Father. As we did last week, we pray for, for Meg Nareth and that you would be with her. The challenge that she's facing again, Lord. Will you please strengthen her? Will you please heal her, Father? Will you please be with her in a special way? We will continue to pray for her, Lord. And Father, we want to remember again our city and our state and our national leaders. Will you be with us, Father? Will you be with them as they lead us? Will you be a part of the decision process as they go about leading our country? And Father, now we turn our attention to your word. And so we take our attention away from our busy lives right now. Father, please give us the one thing in our heart that you'd have us to know today. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Okay. Well, good morning. Still have some handouts there back there for you. Some of you've logged into Socrative, I've seen, and so we can do this. I tell you, they got to find a better one here. My ears are too big for this, you know? <laughs> My dad used to always say to me, he said, son, you look like a taxi cab going down the street with both doors open. <laughs> now you know why I'm the way I am, right? <clears throat> 
Well, good morning. Hey, we're going to be discussing, oops, today, we're back in John 15 after our little segue into the great uh, teaching of the just shall live by faith as we celebrated uh, Reformation Sunday and discuss what do those things matter and how do they, what do they mean? So we have here what we have called uh, getting some clarity about the Holy Spirit. Uh, It was amusing to me uh, this week, excuse me, now I feel like a real hypocrite doing this, so y'all forgive me. They did tell me I could bring water, but if there's anything on the floor, I have to hand scrub it. So uh, we made that direction. Uh, Clarity. Uh, It was interesting to me. I don't know if you uh, follow social media. Hopefully not. uh, Or uh, I do to be with my students. But uh, in the last uh, several months with this election, there was a lot of discussion about whether or not some of the things on social media were true. Did anybody see anything on social media that you found it wasn't true? Anybody? Okay, yeah, a couple. Yeah, I I, I saw on some of that, they actually interviewed Mark Zuckerberg, who's the CEO of Facebook this week, to talk to him about the real problem that this has become and the concern that they're having. Google has made some new arrangements uh, about how to put up uh, uh, news items, and uh, now, now Facebook is doing that same thing. But I mean, there were all kinds of crazy things and people saying... You know, we need some clarity here. We need some some uh, truth. I, I I read this one. Uh, I read one of them. They, I, I didn't know this, but this week, did you know that Joel Olstein is now an atheist? <laughs> Crazy. And people click that stuff on. Not that I did. <laughs> uh, I read also that there's a loophole in the Constitution that could make Bernie Sanders the president. I think I'm related to him. No. <laughs> uh, or you've probably read this, that you know not everything you read on the internet is true. That was what Abraham Lincoln said. And uh, man, do we need clarity nowadays, don't we? Uh, you know, I mean, the idea of assessing truth or discovering what's real or what isn't. Uh, we've thought about, no kidding, at the university of having a class for students that would do what we call critical thinking and learn how to assess the, uh, the truth of something uh, that they read on the internet. And uh, it, it becomes an important thing. I tell my students in How to Teach the Bible uh, that whenever you use an illustration, you better check and make sure that it's real. I've heard so many illustrations in the chapel before. They were wonderful stories. One little problem, they weren't true. <laughs> and so clarity. Now in John chapter 16, there's some clarity here that I hope that we can finally get on this matter, if you will, about uh, the Holy Spirit. Uh, We're going to read here in John 16, and uh, we'll start at verse 12. It's kind of where we ended. I'm going to kind of bring some things to bear here on this. And you'll see on your handout, I have a word called context. Context. I want to show you something here. I think I can do this. You know, technology and I do not always get along. Uh, But I want to show you something here that might uh, help in the idea of, of, of understanding the context of, uh, of where we are in this uh, discussion about the Holy Spirit. You know, you always hear people say context, context, context. This is an address, <clears throat> 1100 uh, Coit Road in Dallas. Anybody been to our Plano? Anybody been to Plano, Texas? You know, when you're there, you're just a Plano Texan. But, uh, you know, I know, I've been waiting to use that for six months. Uh, anybody know where that is? You know, I mean, 11, you know, you think, okay, where is that in relationship to the rest of Dallas? I mean, I know it's Coit Road. And so you would look at that and you'd say, well, uh, I, I see the address, but here's what you're going to have to do 
If you're gonna really understand where that is, you're gonna have to do this. There's Plano Parkway. There's the President Bush Parkway. And now we know it's north of the President Bush Parkway on Plano. How did we get that? Because we zoomed out a little bit. This is the idea of context, of understanding where something is in relationship to the larger section, okay? I, I wanna say a couple of things as we end here because we're about to end a section in John. Let me make a couple of, of, of observations here for you that, that say, again, we, we sometimes study the Bible in such isolation and we look at it in such closeness that we fail, if you will, to recognize how it fits in the rest of the book. I've told you this, that in all of John 14, 15, 16, and 17, there's a recurring phrase that Jesus makes, and it says, these things I have spoken to you. And you'll notice that at the end of a section, like in 1425, Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. In 1511, Jesus makes this statement, these things I have spoken to you that my joy might be full. In 16.4, Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you. So in every one of these cases, you want to then go back to the previous material till you get to that statement. Because that demonstrative pronoun, these, refers to what has previously been stated. This phrase continues throughout this entire section. It's at 16.4. It's at 16.25. In fact, that's where we're headed, if you will, Uh, In 1625, Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you in figurative language. An hour is coming when I no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I tell you plainly the truth. In 1633, Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. What things? The things from 26 to 32 or, or all of the material up to that point. Then in 1713, it says this, 1713, but now I've come to you and these things I speak so that you may have my joy and my joy may be in you. Now that's a, that's a significant thing in this division we've been in for quite a while. Somebody was talking, they said, we've been in John for a while, haven't we? Yeah, and in this particular division, we've been there. But I think it's instructive and helpful for us to make sure that we don't just read these things in isolation. Jesus is saying, these things I have spoken to you in order that. And we're moving, if you will, to 25, where we'll see that Jesus said, I've spoken to you these things in figurative language, but someday I'm gonna speak to you plainly about this. So we're we're discussing a section here of somewhat figurative language as it relates to the Christian life. The second thing I would say in terms of this context, so get, get some clarity about the Holy Spirit. I said this to you before, I just wanna remind you, we've been talking about faith. This is, in John 14, 15, 16, and 17, the largest section of teaching on the Holy Spirit in the entire Bible. The largest section. There is nothing in its equal. We've been discussing this for several weeks, and I told you that uh, there is uh, this uh, discussion that starts back in 15, well, starts back in 14. But we've been looking at getting some clarity about this. And, I, and it's interesting to me, I brought a board here. Oh, I'm, this is high tech, low tech, this is no tech, okay? That in, the, in this section, I just wanna remind you I wanna get where we're going. In, in 1526, 
There is the world and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The world. In 1526, Jesus uh, makes uh, this statement. The helper comes whom I'll send, the spirit of truth. He'll testify about me to the world. And then in 16.4-7, it's the ministry of the Holy Spirit to believers. To believers. Now it flips. <clears throat> and then in 16.8-11, to 11, what do you figure it might be? The ministry of the Holy Spirit. To the world. And then where we are today in 16 12 to 15 believers. Now, this is important, I think, from the standpoint to see this is what we call interchange. World believers, world believers. And in uh, biblical studies, uh, in inductive Bible study, we say the world is A, not because it's more important, it's just the one that starts. Uh, believers is B, not because they're less important, it's just the second one. Then we go back to A, the world, and we go back to be. Now, I think this is important because it tries to strengthen the understanding of the magnitude or the importance or the scope or the range of the ministry of the Holy Spirit that brings some clarity to us, and we've already talked about that. And on your handout, by the way, <clears throat> I adjusted. There are some new uh, login things on how to get to the website. You can see it there on top of your handout of how to go to the app and get the recordings of class. Uh, or sorry, we didn't get it recorded last week, but it's being recorded this week. Correct, Chris? <clears throat> okay. Okay, you're gonna say yes. <clears throat> okay, if it isn't, y'all go see Chris. <clears throat> um, and, and there's some login where you can go to the website or you can go to the, the Crossings app. So, setting context to say where are we? What's the importance here? What is Jesus doing here in terms of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in this um, most, if you will, expansive area of those. And this is the last one. This one right here, 16, 12 to 15, is this last section in this expansive area. So let's read it here. Follow along with me, if you will. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. You might want to underline the definite article there. Because in Greek, when the definite article the is there, it's placed there on purpose. It, it doesn't occur uh, uh, randomly. And he will not speak of his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and will disclose it to you. And all these things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said that he takes of mine and discloses it. Now, that word disclose occurs in numeric state. I think it's declare, isn't it, ESV? Is that the word? E you might want to circle that. We're going to come back to that because the word shows up in 13, 14, and 15. Again, these again are uh, uh, things to try to set and understand uh, what's happening here in this uh, particular passage. So I want to look at <clears throat> a couple of things about the clarity. Let's, uh, don't you love these ads here? Oh my goodness. How do I get rid of this? I'm done. Oh, here we go. Okay. Isn't this high tech here, me bending over like this? I'm just so with it, I guess. Here we go. <clears throat> Some clarity <clears throat> about the Holy Spirit. Number one, clarity about the need of the Holy Spirit. Look there at verse 12. 
Jesus said, I've got, <clears throat> I've got lots of things to say to you. I've got many things to say to you, but what? You can't what? What did he say? Huh? Can't bear it. Is that how your translation? Now, we can talk in here. This is a, this is a sanctuary. We can talk in here. Does <laughs> your have, have the word? See, I can come down here. Ooh, scary. See? Uh, bear it. Is that what you can't bear? Can't bear it. Any other translation? Use other words on that? I have many things to say to you, but you can't. Bear, okay, that's it. Okay, I, I didn't check all the other translations. But Jesus here on the last night of his ministry in the largest section of teaching about the Holy Spirit says, I got a lot of things to say to you. I got more things that I need to say to you, but you cannot bear it. Now the word here, bear, is interesting and it probably you know doesn't take any huge genius to figure this out, but it, the bear means to be able to carry. It's too heavy. It's too much. There's too much here for me to give to you that I, you, you just can't bear. Now, what do you imagine? And, and I'm, I, I want you to answer this here. What do you imagine that Jesus might be referring to? What has he got to say to them that they just, he would say, you just can't bear this? What? what? About his death, surely. I mean, they, they have some inkling, but they don't seem to understand, do they? And certainly not all that it means. What else? What, what could it be that he's referring to them about? You can't bear it. What's going to eventually happen to them? Yeah. Possibility there that, you know, uh, there's some things going to happen to you too. If they kill me, as he said earlier, before they hate you, they're going to what? Hey, what'd I say? I said that backwards, didn't I? You know what? Last week after, you know, I told you all those medical results, when I got through teaching, Bill Reichkopf walked up to me to talk to me, and I said, Bill, I don't know what's going on, but I'm passing out. <laughs> it wasn't dizzy. I was passing out. So I don't know if something happens when my brain comes in here. You know, Maybe I'd gone to church enough. Anyway, uh, the, the idea here of what's going to happen to them, he said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. Yeah. What else? What? Yeah. Huh? But bear them, yeah, that's a, what, what, when it comes into italics in your Bible, that the translators are offering a phrase here to clarify. It's not in the original text. He just says you can't bear it, uh, bear them. So it's, it's an attempt to try to clarify into English. We call that literally that when you take Greek into English, you try to put it into the English idiom. I thought my Greek professor was calling me a name when he said that. <laughs> he said, Cliff, you didn't put that in the right idiom. Did you just call me an idiot? No. <laughs> and he did on another occasion. But so it's just, it's just an attempt to clarify. It's not in the original, original language. Well, I mean, I think these are all possible and they're all true. But he's saying that right now in this condition, I've got things to say to you. I've got things that we need to talk about, but you can't bear it. Now, Jesus seems to suggest, notice here in verse 13, but... Now, the word but there, that a positive, always suggests contrast. Something's been stated, something's been done. Now we have a contrast to that original circumstance or situation. But he says, but when the help, when, when he, the spirit of truth comes. So I want to look at this, this, the clarity of the need of the Holy Spirit. I just want to ask you to consider that in the disciples' case, and in our case, we ought to at least embrace the fact that there probably are things that you and I 
can't bear without the Holy Spirit. Just, just let that sink in for a second. I mean, I think as Americans, we, we think we just try harder, do more, work at it, plan, go to school, any of these kind of things. If we just do that, you know, we, we can work it out. I just wonder how many of us live with a sense, daily awareness, that there are things in life that Jesus is going to show, again, <clears throat> without the, and, and we, have, we, we, we know we have access to the Holy Spirit, but that because <clears throat> of life, unless we have the power of the Holy Spirit, can't bear them, can't bear them up. Again, the word means it's too heavy to carry, too heavy to carry. And I think that for me, my life has been a process of trying always to learn how to do life without God. Anybody with me? <laughs> Anybody been trying to do that recently? Try to figure it out, plan it out, get a, get a notepad out, figure it out, you know? Are you willing to say in your own life, look, I'm like these guys. There are things that Jesus might want to say to me. There are things in my life that might happen, and I can't bear them without the presence of the Holy Spirit. Anybody willing to go there? Anybody willing to say, hey, you know what? I, and you know, I've said this before, and so it may get old, but we tend to push God to the margins in our lives. You know, we can handle it. The problem is that generally life has a way of getting us out of our capacity. It's called cancer. It's called losing a job. It's called a marriage dissolving. It's called children that are breaking your heart. That now all of a sudden we're in a situation that we have to actually finally admit, I can't bear this. I can't bear this alone. <clears throat> I've said to you before, and I think this is true, it's a principle of life. It is always your inadequacy that creates capacity for God to work in your life. It's always your inadequacy that creates capacity for God to work in your life. You know that, don't you? I mean, you know, you, you, you've been bumping along and everything's great and then something tragic happens or something difficult. All of a sudden, your capacity for to, depend, to depend on God is monstrous. Eden and Dave shared with us, you know, a few, Eden said to me after this, she said, you know, Cliff, I always agreed with you that, that uh, I was not in control. She told me, I didn't know what that meant at all. <laughs> Why? Because she had never been in a situation like that. Now, now, we know we're on the other side of this verse. <clears throat> we're on the other side of this verse. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> we, we know <clears throat> the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about that. But I think <clears throat> that in my own life, and as I talk to people, we have this tendency to drift through life to the point where we're working and getting things to the point that we really don't have to depend on the Holy Spirit. Anybody there with me? Don't have to. Here's what I encourage you to do. <clears throat> just each morning. It doesn't take long. Just each morning. Ephesians 5, 18 says, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Be <clears throat> being filled. It's not a one-time thing. <clears throat> it's not a one-time act. Turn this thing off to call. <clears throat> Maybe that's why I passed out. <laughs> I didn't actually pass out. But, uh, be being filled. Filled. You start the morning 
before you leave the house to say, now before I walk out of here, because listen, I don't know about you, but I can sin between the bedroom and the kitchen at my house. Anybody? Right? Becky's, what? Okay, you did it, Cliff. But before you get out of bed or when you get out of bed to say, okay, today, before we begin this day, I'm asking you now to fill me again, fill me again with your Holy Spirit. Now, again, we said it's not like a cup. It's like that. It's like the sails on a boat. Lift your sail up and say, now fill that sail. Give me the power. Give me the strength that I need to live today. So Jesus said, you can't. You you need some help. Okay, let's move now to this. The clarity about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to draw several things out here and and work fast, okay? The clarity about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, You know this, but I just want to refresh your memory. You'll notice here in all those verses from 12 to 15, every time the Holy Spirit is referred to, there is a pronoun used there. What is it? He. He, not it. Greek has the ability through the use of the noun and the, and, and the pronoun to be very clear about the kind of pronoun we're using. He, she, it. Any of those can be those personal pronouns. And any of those can. And what's amazing in Greek is the Greek word for spirit is pneuma, or in East Texas, panuma. <laughs> Got to say that P, panuma. Uh, it, the Greek word for spirit is, is neuter, has, and, and let me just say it this way, really nouns, gender, and that is not talking about male, female. It just is a way of identifying. The noun is neuter, and it is always used a little bit out of a grammatical structure, a masculine noun, a pronoun, a masculine pronoun, he. This is helpful, I think. When Jesus begins to say, he, 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 the Holy Spirit's not a feeling, The Holy Spirit's not an effervescence. The Holy Spirit's not a chill up your spine. The Holy Spirit is a person, okay? That's why people say, didn't you feel the Holy Spirit? I just have to be honest with you. I don't know. I mean, I felt that at the movies the other day. Anybody? I don't know what the feelings are for a person. When Becky walks in the room, the atmosphere doesn't change. I don't feel something all of a sudden. I go, Hi, you know, you see somebody, you know, you, you recognize their presence, but we've identified the Holy Spirit with feeling. I'm not saying it isn't possible or it isn't true. I'm simply saying if that's where we start, I think sometimes we end up doing damage to people. I'll take an example. Back before I used to teach Sunday school and have Sunday mornings off, it was so nice. We used to drive to church on Sunday morning. When I'd get up in the morning, I'd you know, get up early and get the paper, read the paper a little bit. I would um, uh, uh, read my Bible. I think I did that. Yeah, <laughs> people were getting paper. Uh, but I read the Bible. Becky made homemade blueberry muffins. This is back before the donut jag started. Homemade blueberry muffins. <clears throat> and we'd be driving to, work, uh, driving to church and we're going to go to lunch. I don't care where you want to go. Mexican sounds good to me. That's uh, okay. Driving in. You know, we're, we parked the car, we sat down in church, something happens, something, somebody sings, something sings, and then not here, I, I don't think anybody's ever said this, but I've been to church and say, boy, I'm telling you, if that didn't bless you, something must be wrong with you. Anybody heard that people say that kind of stuff? 
Yeah, I, I remember walking into church with parents that I thought I might have to call DHS on. Get those kids into Sunday school right now, hurry. Right? <clears throat> What's the most unholy hour of the week, parents? The hour before church, right? The hour before church. Every child somehow loses their mind. And parents are, yeah, don't make me turn this car around. Don't make me turn this car around. You kids sit down, get ready. And as soon as you pull in the driveway of the church, there's that magic gate. Praise the Lord, children, let us go to church. <laughs> the stress, the strain, the difficulty. And again, not here. But somebody says, that didn't bless you. Say, you know what? You're just lucky I'm here. Don't talk to me about what I ought to feel. Don't tell me how I ought to react. Don't tell me what I ought to be thinking. You're lucky I'm here. Right? Too much emphasis on feeling. Holy Spirit is a person. He. Now, let me give you some evidence on that real quick. I'm just going to give this to you quick. There are things in the New Testament that indicate the Spirit is a person. Number one, he 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 demonstrates. <clears throat> excuse me. He demonstrates mind. In Acts six. <clears throat> in Acts six, <clears throat> he knows the script. Peter says the Holy Spirit knows Ananias what you've done. He he knows what you've done. <clears throat> you've lied to God. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. He knows what you've done. He has a mind. Okay. <clears throat> Second, he has emotion. In Ephesians 4.30, it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by which you were sealed to the day of redemption. Grieve. The sense there is to make sad. He has emotion. And third, <clears throat> he has all the components of human personality. <clears throat> he has will. Acts 13 <clears throat> says there, <clears throat> they were praying and fasting and <clears throat> worshiping the Lord. And <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> they, they, it says there <clears throat> that they were doing that. And the Holy Spirit said, set apart Paul and Barnabas. Wouldn't you like to have known how that happened? The Holy Spirit said, that's what, Paul, that's what Luke records, set apart for me Saul and Barnabas for the ministry I've set them apart to. He has what? Will. So mind, emotion, and will. All of these have to do with, you know, I should have put that up there. <clears throat> the person <clears throat> of the Holy Spirit. The person. <clears throat> the person of the Holy Spirit. He, he has mind, I'm trying to look here at Socrates, mind, <clears throat> emotion, and will. So here's what I encourage you to think about and do. Yes. Acts 6. I'm sorry, Acts 6. Yeah, Acts 6. I get in a hurry. <clears throat> Acts 6. What I want to encourage you to do is watch your referencing. When you refer to the Holy Spirit, do you refer to him as a feeling or as some presence just in a room, or do you refer to him as a person? Now, I'm not saying they're all mutually exclusive. I'm, I'm trying to correct or try to get us to, to kind of pull back here in an area to be a little more biblical in our way we react. I hear people say, don't you, don't you, don't you feel it? And I'm going, what? what? What do you mean, what do I feel it? And they say, the Holy Spirit. I go, no, I don't feel it. I sense him. I sense him. I don't feel it. This is not Casper the Friendly Ghost, you know. <clears throat> this is not just some ethereal presence. This is a person, the third person of the Trinity. 
So we want to refer the clarity. So I'm just lifting that out. You'll, you can go back and look in your Bible. All the way through there, he, 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 okay? Now, <clears throat> the work, <clears throat> the work of the Holy Spirit. Number one, <clears throat> to direct. Notice what it says here. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you. I'm using the word uh, <clears throat> direct here <clears throat> for the word <clears throat> guide. That, <clears throat> that part of the work of the Holy Spirit is to guide us, <clears throat> notice here, into all the truth. All <clears throat> the truth. Do you know what the Oxford Dictionary made as the word for 2016? Hmm? Post, what? thank you, post-truth. The word for 2016, <clears throat> post-truth. The idea, <clears throat> here I'll read it to you, it is this idea denoting the circumstances <clears throat> where objective facts are less influential in shaping a, a action than an appeal to emotion. See what I just said about the Holy Spirit? Post-truth means <clears throat> that our culture and the world believes that truth is verified by how I feel about it. Not about what it is. Not about <clears throat> its objective or referential reality. That's the word <clears throat> for 2016. That's the world you and I are swimming in now, right? Now, th this is incredible because this word or this idea <clears throat> is that we see over and over again in our culture that people are assessing truth and being guided by truth by how they feel about it. Not about <clears throat> whether it is really true. I, and I told somebody that it's, I'm sounding like my dad now. I'm an old guy, you know, talking to these 18 and 19 year olds and I'll say, They'll say something. I say, well, now tell me why you believe that. I don't just feel like it's really, really true. And I'm going, really, huh? I got to get another job. Because <laughs> what I want to say to you will get me fired. <laughs> I mean, why don't you try that at the pharmacist? You know, I know that's what the doctor said on that prescription, but I feel like that this toe fungus stuff will help your allergies. I really feel this, you know? I really feel this, Bill, <clears throat> right? Jesus said, <clears throat> the Spirit's gonna lead you into all the truth. This troubles <clears throat> me <clears throat> and some scholars <clears throat> from the standpoint of, if that's the truth, then why are Christians so divided? Are Christians so divided? Is it that 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 Eric is following the Spirit and Cliff's not? It's possible, you know. I want to ask you to consider something in the context here of this section we've been in. There was a statement made earlier in this section in chapter fourteen, where Jesus said, "I am the truth. I'm not a truth." In Greek, if the article, the, is not there, you never translate it. You never supply it. You never offer it. It's written in on purpose. I want to suggest to you that, that one of the things that the Spirit's role and work to do is to lead us into all the truth in terms of who Jesus is. Not about the millennium, 
Not about women in ministry. Not about who can be this and who can be that. That the Spirit's role and job is to drive the truth and understanding of who Jesus is to us. Now, I will say this. Every Christian group, I would tell you, within orthodoxy, agrees almost 99.99% on the person of Jesus. Here's where we get in trouble. And the tradition you're a part of here called the Church of God, or in seminary we called it the Church to God, uh, but, you know, they didn't appreciate that. Um, we said, and Marty and others are involved in the national work here, that for a long time, the Church of God, we tried to define ourselves by our doctrine on women in ministry, which we believe. Or we tried to define ourselves by our doctrine of holiness. In the last four years, we had a recalibration where we decided, you know what? Here's what it is. And this is our national referential statement all the time. Jesus is the subject. That's what it is. Jesus is the subject. Now, there are lots of ancillary issues around there, but what happens is when churches and people allow their doctrinal ideas or their thoughts on worship or their sense about these matters and fail to get driving straight down the highway to say, no, 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 no. How does this help me understand the person of Jesus? I told you seven years ago, I went to National Prayer Breakfast, and I was uh, talking with some buddies of mine, and I said, uh, what is this all about? You know, and you, you see it on, all you see is Thursday morning when the president's there and all the leaders and everybody's being spiritual for 45 minutes. And uh, that's one, one time President Obama did say this. He said, I wish we could take some of this spirituality here back to the Capitol Hill. And everybody broke out in applause. But I remember talking to some guys and saying, uh, you know what? What is this about? And Barry Brown, who uh, his mom used to be a part of this church, said to me, Cliff, we invite everyone to the National Prayer Breakfast in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. We have Muslims, Christians, Jews. It's not a Christian gathering. It's an attempt to bring people together from all walks of life and all religions and talk about this guy named Jesus. See, I believe he's the son of God. I have some Muslim friends that think he's a prophet. You know what? I want to talk to them about that. Because I discovered a long time ago what Jesus said to Peter. He didn't say this to Peter, but sort of. He said, hey, Cliff Sanders didn't convince you of this. Flesh and blood didn't convince you of this. But my father, who's in heaven. And around those tables and around those discussions, people are talking about Jesus and discussing him. What is he like? What did he teach? What did he say? And we're trying to leave that up to the Holy Spirit to say, would you attempt Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit to convince them of who you are? It is a marvelous experience. I, you know, some people don't like it. Some people can't get with it. I, it's okay. But what they try to do is make Jesus the subject. My first year, and I'm, I'm, you know, I like theology and I've studied the Bible quite a bit. I called Becky on my cell phone walking down Connecticut Avenue at 1030 after Dan Reinecke and Mike Sullivan left me by myself. It's late at night. I just met a, a brilliant theologian, Miroslav Volf from, from Yale. Had a great time listening to him. And I said to Becky on the phone, I'm embarrassed. And she said, what about? <clears throat> she knows there's lots. What, you know, what is it this time? <clears throat> lots of options here. 
And I said, I'm embarrassed that I've allowed myself to get so wound up in truth that I got wound up in truth that was ancillary or secondary to Jesus. That my focus, which I, I, you know, I I read theology to relax. I love it. I enjoy it. But I had allowed that to become what I wanted to talk about, what I wanted to discuss, what I wanted to deal with, instead of the truth. It's not a list. It's not a doctrinal statement. It's a person. Truth here is to to, to guide me into the truth of who Jesus is. I want to just say this. If the Holy Spirit's leading you and leading me, he's going to direct you to focus, to concentrate on Jesus. Everything else will get in place after that. But you get that out of place and everything else takes on its own life now. It's like a barbecue pit we put together. I've soon discovered after not reading the instructions that Becky encouraged me to do that because I had not put the tank on at a certain time for the next four years when we moved that barbecue pit, it took two people. One to do the barbecue pit, the other one to carry the tank. (laughs) You know why? I didn't get that tank on in the right time and place. It put everything else out. If we don't allow the Holy Spirit to guide us and lead us to focus our attention on the truth about who Jesus is, other things are going to take the place and get out of order. I would say this. I'm going to give you a big word here. You can go home and impress somebody over Thanksgiving. When you study the Bible, your exegetical method The way you interpret scripture should always be through the Jesus lens. The Jesus lens. The truth of who Jesus is. Some have called it the Jesus hermeneutic. That's a big word. You don't need to know that necessarily. But how does this impact my understanding of the truth? Is it offline? Is it it harsh? Is it hateful? Is it mean? What are those things, whatever it is, the notion that it brings me back to the person of Jesus, okay? So, second, too far. What is this thing doing now? Here we go. It's got a life of its own. To disclose or declare. Notice what it says. The Holy Spirit, he'll not speak on it. He'll disclose to you what is to come, verse 13. He'll disclose to you what is of mine. He will disclose to you <clears throat> what is of mine. This is an interesting thought here because many people read this and say, well, he's going to disclose to you. I don't, let me, you know what? I don't, is there a, is there a, is there an application on there after direct? Okay. I didn't put it on here. See, I was saying if you're watching, right. Here's what it is. What if this week you evaluate, first blank there, you evaluate, what if, what if this week you evaluate Truth you hear with how it aligns with the person of Jesus Christ. I'll tell you, this past year, I've heard a lot of things that sounded religious that didn't line up with Jesus. Did you hear anything this year? The last little thing we've been through? I heard some things that didn't sound much like Jesus to me. 
And I think there are going to be some difficulties for a lot of people in the future. The idea of aligning it up with the person of Jesus. Now, the second one is disclose. Jesus says he's going to disclose three things. Let me give you three. You can write these down. He's going to disclose what is to come. And he's going to take of mine what I have and disclose it to you. Take of mine. I want to give you my idea here. What I think is going on here. Because of this word disclose. Just remember to reveal. To unfold. That this idea of what is to come. To take that which is of mine. This comes back to the notion that the Holy Spirit is going to take the things about Jesus and bring them to bear upon us. And in this idea of what is to come, now that always excites people that, you know, about the future, about, about the future. I want to give you a bit of a read on this as I understand it. I, I'm not, you know, you, you could be convinced, that's fine, or others can, that when Jesus, he's going to tell you the future. It's possible there's very little evidence in the New Testament of any prophetic actions. Really, only a couple. In Acts, uh, the daughters of Agabus, who are prophetess, come and say, they, they prophesy about the future. They say they get the belt from, from Paul. If you go read this in 16, I believe. You go, you go get the belt from Paul that he's wearing, and they tie their hands and say, whoever has this belt, what awaits them is persecution and trial and death. And they're telling the future. Right, Very little prophecy, if you will, of future telling in the New Testament. Not that much in the Old Testament. In fact, the word propheteo is the idea of forth-telling. Telling forth. We sometimes call it preaching. There's a little bit of it. But I want to suggest to you, there's a, there's a, a, a challenge here. Now, I'm going, to, I'm going to sound like I'm contradicting myself. I think that what Jesus may be referring to is this. We want to focus on Jesus and we want to take everything we have through that lens. And I have friends who think that means the epistles are unnecessary. Have you met this person? They're called red letter Christians. The only thing they read are the red letters of the gospels. Everything else is fluff. There's a move in this area. And I have some friends that I know that would say, don't worry about the epistles. You know what the epistles are, right? Wives of the apostles. And uh, <clears throat> it's getting back. Is, did somebody write that down? See if your neighbor wrote that down. See if they wrote that down. Yeah. I'm going to do that on a test question at the university. That the idea is that the epistles aren't important. They're just theology. I'm, I'm going to sound a little contradictory. I, I'm saying this. I think Jesus is saying, he's going to disclose you what's going to come. Peter says in 1 Peter, that the scriptures are written by men and people who are moved by the Holy Spirit. First Peter. All scripture is theoptumized, the, the idea of God breathed, it's spirit breathed. That's what he says in First Timothy. He says it in First Peter that, that men of old, our people, were moved by the Holy Spirit as they wrote these things, not even always knowing what they were writing. You're gonna, you're gonna run into this. You're going to run to people. Maybe it's because of my working with young people. You're going to run to young people who are going to tell you the epistles are not important. I'll tell you what, in real theological circles, there's been a battle since the 1800s that Paul and Jesus are not on the same page. 
I don't believe that. I believe that what the Holy Spirit was doing with Paul and Peter and James and John was through the Holy Spirit revealing more and more and more of what Jesus had done. He's going to disclose it. He's going to suggest these matters of the future. Now notice this also. He says he's going to take of mine and reveal it. That's what Peter's doing. That's what Paul's doing. That's what James is doing. That's what John is doing. Now this may be an issue you're not that worried about. I'm kind of in the middle of it because I've got students that are red letter Christians. I've got people that I know that are saying to me and others, forget Paul, forget the epistles. In fact, there's a great book called Conrad Gimp, G-E-M-P-F, called How to Love Paul Again. <laughs> How to Love Paul Again. There are a lot of people saying, hey, there's this huge division and, and, and you're talking about an issue in life and, and you say, well, you quote Corinthians, say, hey, go back to Jesus. See? Here's where the division is. And I'm suggesting that because of what Peter says and James says and others say is that the Holy Spirit is moving on people to write those epistles. I want to ask you to consider something. This may be two matter is what if this week you read a chapter in an epistle and identify something new you've learned. He said he's going to disclose these things to you. He's going to disclose these things to you. I think as our culture, if I'm any judge of it, I'm, I'm seeing this division between the epistles and the gospels more and more and more among people. Um, and it, it's disturbing to me because I see in it the epistles, the Holy Spirit having moved upon men or people to write, because I think the possibilities are a woman wrote it. Hebrews could be. We don't know. The last thing here of the work is to defer. Notice what he says. <clears throat> He's going to glorify me, for he'll take of mine and disclose it. These things, and all these things, the Father is of mine. I'm using the word defer here in this way. One of the things about the work of the Holy Spirit that I see is that he never draws attention to himself because his work is to what? What do he say there in verse 14? What? Glorify. He, let, me, let, me, let me give you a definition. The, the Greek word means all kinds of stuff in Hebrew, Shekinah or Shekinah, but it means this, to make much of. When you glorify something or someone, you're making much of them. The Holy Spirit's work here is to make much of Jesus. Notice here, he's not glorifying himself. He's not drawing attention to himself. He's disclosing about the things the Father has with the Son and glorifying him. So when I get around people that claim, and we all do it different times, claim to be being led by the Spirit, and I don't hear a lot of glorification about Jesus, my spiritual Geiger counter gets kicked off a little bit. I started, now wait a minute, let's quit talking about our church or let's quit talking about our teacher in the church or let's quit talking about our preacher. Let's start talking about who? Jesus. Let's glorify him. Let's bring honor to him. Let's, I'm not saying we don't appreciate people. I'm not saying that we don't value what we have. I'm simply saying this thing can get off the rails if we're not careful. This thing can get off the rails where we're glorifying or honoring or lifting up other things and other people other 
than Jesus. And the Holy Spirit here to me is clear in his work of understanding and declaring and glorifying and making much of Jesus. You know, I think Marty and the elders that were way before me, I, I haven't done anything but stood in there a couple times, made a couple of votes. I, I've had little impact at all. You know what those guys, Tom Webb and, and Roy Townsend and Mel Harbin and, and many of the others, Johnny Jones, all that, you know what they decided they were going to be? What kind of church? Have you heard this before? A what? Christ-centered church. I've heard Kim, Marty's wife, who's smarter than he is, would say, man, didn't she do a great job when she preached that one time? I said to Marty, you may lose your job over this. You know one of the verses Kim used to always quote when I'd be around her, John 12, where Jesus said, if I be high and lifted up, I'll draw all people to myself. That was a core value at Westridge Hills Church of God, at Belle Isle Community Church, at Crossings Community Church to say, we want to be involved in the ministry of the Holy Spirit to where we make much of Jesus, where we glorify him and honor him and lift him up. I want to ask you to consider something about a way to live. I have a told you, I think, before with my students. There's a great verse found in 1 Corinthians 10.30. 1 Corinthians 10.30. I'm sorry, 10.31. 1 Corinthians 10.31, where if we're living in the Spirit, walking, Paul says this. <clears throat> so then whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. To make much of God. To what, whatever you do, whether it's work or watching a ball game or, 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 or working in the yard or, 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 or relating to people or driving your car to say, you know what? I want to be involved in this ministry of the Spirit of bringing glory, making much of Jesus. I hate to admit this, but more of my Christian life than I want to admit, my motivation for obedience my motivation for doing the right thing, glorifying God, was either fear of punishment or promise of reward. I hate to admit this. I was a lot older than I wanted to be when I realized if I'm doing what I'm doing because of fear of punishment or promise of reward, that is a fundamentally selfish motivation because it's about me. I grew up in a church that, that encouraged the fear of punishment. <laughs> they doled it out pretty often <laughs> or said God did. You know, my dad told me, if you do that, he'll get you. I did it. He didn't. I kept trying. <laughs> that really moved me in the wrong direction in my life. What if? the next time you're faced with a decision or a temptation, you don't ask, am I going to get in trouble if I do this with God? Or will he be so proud of me because I didn't do it that he'll reward me? How about this? Will this activity bring glory to God? That's the standard. No longer fear of punishment. No longer the promise of reward, 
but to say, I want to be involved in this ministry and work of the Holy Spirit, that what I do, I now do because I want to have it make much of Jesus. That's what it means to glorify him. I, I just, to be honest with you, I, I was way too old before I got my arms around this. You know? I, I, example, I was, I, sometime I was watching television and uh, Becky was working in the yard or something and, you know, doing her chores. <clears throat> Not really. <clears throat> She's doing something else. And I talked to her about this later. Uh, you know, I, I, the cable company don't understand me. They say, you can get HBO, and I'm not saying you got it, you're wrong, you know, but I don't want that stuff. I just don't want it in my house. I just don't want to fight that battle. But so I got a few channels. I got the old, you know, the old uh, TCM, the, you know, the old movies, of the, the Rifleman, obviously, on Sunday morning, Saturday morning. But um, I was watching a movie, and it was on one of those channels that, that, where they clean them up, you know, where they take all the words out and all that other kind of stuff. And I was watching it, just, I just flipped in it, and uh, I thought, you know, it's not, it's not, I mean, I'm not going to see anything because they've already cleaned it up, but man, this is really a rotten movie. And I'm just kind of sitting there. And then Becky walks up on the porch, and I changed it. And then the Spirit of God said to me, why would you watch anything that your wife couldn't be sitting right beside you? Anything. Why would you be watching? It? I don't have kids. Obviously, God didn't want to punish Becky by raising two. When she got, I told her, I said, I want to tell you something that happened the other day. And I want you to know that I'm not going to watch anything that would bring dishonor to you, whether you're ever there or not. Not because I'm on it. I didn't get caught. Anyway, they wanted to get caught. It was, you know, it was cleaned up. I'm not going to get rewarded because somebody thinks I'm some wonderful person. I said, Beck, I want to do this because I want to honor you and be the kind of husband you know you can trust anywhere I am. See, what, what if we said to Jesus, I'm not going to not do this because I'll get in trouble. I'm, I'm not going to not do it because oh, I'm going to do it because I'll get rewarded. How would that change the way you approach life? Quit talking about punishment and reward and get centered into, I'm going to bring glory to God. No matter what. You know what? You'll be right there in the ministry of the Holy Spirit because what's he doing? He's always deferring to say, I want to bring glory to Jesus. I want to bring glory to Jesus. I want him to be made much of. I'm not interested in myself. I'm not interested in, let me put the illustration, fear of punishment, promise of Holy Spirit. You know, I'm not afraid I'm going to get, the father's going to be mad at me or I'm not doing it so the father will think I'm great. I'm doing it so to bring glory to Jesus. Glory. I'm telling you, I told myself, this will change your life. It'll reorient what you do because you have some reason now to do what you do that's bigger than, am I going to get in trouble? Or am I going to get rewarded? So what if this week you make one decision, not on the basis of fear of punishment or promise of reward, but to bring glory to Jesus? Just one thing. This week, just one thing. Well, nobody's put any questions here. I've either confused you to death 
Yeah, nobody. Any question? Some extrovert can help me here. Anything here we, we've, I've confused you about? I got about one minute. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, go ahead. Yes. Thank you. I, I want to clarify here what I'm saying. I'm saying I don't think it's necessary. That in other words, if a person doesn't feel the Holy Spirit, he's not there. Let me, I want to clarify. Yeah. I'm, I'm just saying that there's been too much emphasis, in my opinion, about the, the, the Holy Spirit if you can't feel and he's not there. I'm suggesting as a person, I, I, and, I, people have, and I think I have at some level, you can have that sense at times. But to say that the feeling is the same as the person is what I'm trying to be careful about. Does that, does that make sense? That, that, that the presence of the Holy Spirit can be there and there be no feeling. None whatsoever. Yeah, and we don't, we don't uh, authenticate or say that the presence of the Holy Spirit is here because we have feelings. Okay, thank you for asking because I, I want to be, be clear here. I, I, I'm saying we don't authenticate or we don't demonstrate that the Holy Spirit simply by feelings. If it happens, I guess I could say it in Louisiana, we used to say it this way. Uh, there's a phrase called lanyap. When you uh, go to lunch and uh, you know you order uh, uh, chicken fried steak and then they put a put a, a dessert on there and it's for free, lanyap, extra. What I'm saying is for many of us, the the certainty that the Holy Spirit is present because He's promised to be with us is that. If we can, if we have some sense of feeling, lanyap, it's extra, it's extra, but to not associate the presence of the spirit only by feeling. And if you don't feel him, whatever, and again, that, that's where I have trouble is how do I even, how, how do I even calibrate feeling the presence? But I, yeah, I mean, I, I know people that would tell me like you have, and, and I, and I agree. It's just, I'm, I'm want to be careful about making that too much of the equation. Stuart's got a question. I can read it all over your face. <laughs> okay. Hey, I hope we can do this. I, I, we can talk some and, and discuss, and I hope you'll use Socrative. But what I really want to say, we're going to finish this. This is this, go back, this incredible section on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The largest in all of the Bible. And I would refer you to go read it and spend some time. Let's pray as we go. Lord Jesus, we're the luckiest people in the world to be able to gather in your name without fear in a beautiful room with some great people with uh, technology and all kinds of things. And then as we are able to study your word on our Bible or in our phone or our iPads to have access to these words of life, 
Would you guide us and direct us and help us in the future as we, we're here to admit today, there are things that you got that we can't bear on our own. There are things you need to say to us. There are things that, that are happening that are too heavy for us. So would you help us to lean into the truth of the person and the work of the Holy Spirit? And Lord, I, for me, I, I always sound like I know you better than I do. I always sound like I understand all this and I got it, but I don't. And I pray you'd help me and every person in this room to just look to you for our strength and help. You pray this in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. Amen.